Are you okay? Yeah. There's a swim class going on on the other side of the pool. It could probably help you. I'm okay. Good morning. <laughs> it's a little intro to what we were talking about in this message series. We've been looking at survival mode in friendships and family relationships, and that guy's definitely in survival mode and didn't want any help to get out. Dude's kind of crazy, isn't he? We've been, we've been looking at what the Bible says, how it describes our default mode that we tend to get into when we're trying to make life work on our own without God's help. And what we're looking at is what we tend to do and then how do we take steps beyond survival mode? How do, how do we get out of it? Uh, we've looked at how survival mode is characterized by selfishness and self-reliance. We've been talking about that. Last couple of weeks, we looked at Colossians 3, 8 through 10. It says, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. And then it gives a description of survival mode. When we default into trying to get what we want out of life, our, our own way by ourselves, without God's help, using our native strategies. And then it describes it. anger, rage, malice, which is a, just a deep-seated ill will toward other people. We don't like them, and we're going to make them give us what they want. We use these things to try to squeeze out of people what we want. And when you try to squeeze out of the people around you, your family, your friends, what you want, it, 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 it's, it's tasteless. It's not very rewarding. You don't get what you want. You get sort of a substitute for what you really want. Slander. Filthy language. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. The passage says that when we catch ourselves in survival mode, and we all default into this, another word for it in the Bible is flesh, we've been looking at, that's when you're relying on yourself. When we default into survival mode, we need to throw off those old habits like a dirty shirt and change into the new way. Put off the old way and put on the new way. That's what it means. If you're investigating Christianity and considering following Christ, that's what it means to follow him. You decide, I'm going to make you boss. You're the Lord. I'm going to follow you. And I'm going to... Stop doing life my old way, and I'm going to start wearing the new clothes that you've given me. The, I'm going to start changing out things. When I catch myself doing it the old way, God, that was wrong. Will you forgive me? And I'm going to put on the new way. I'm going to just constantly do this. We, we need God's help to do this. When you decide to follow Christ, you're, you're deciding to, to live life a new way, God's way, focused on pleasing him. And we need his help. We need to ask him to help us put these things on. It goes on in this passage, and we haven't looked at this part of the Colossians 3 yet, but here is a description 
of the new way. And this is like a survival kit. We have a survival kit at work. It's got band-aids in it and gauze and all kinds of things. If somebody gets hurt, we we actually used it the other day. Somebody needed it, and uh, we ran and got it and used it. This passage that we're going to look at is, is a kit to get beyond survival mode. When you find yourself in default mode, just angry, you, you want to just squeeze what you want out of people. Maybe you want to choke what you want out of them. Um, this, this helps us get beyond survival mode. Look at it. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. Now, here's, here's a description of the, the clothing we put on that we're to wear. <clears throat> clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Love is the box that all those other things, that holds all those other things together. That's the big picture, love. Out of love, if you're in survival mode, you're frustrated and irritated and you're really bothered by somebody. What's going to help you get out of survival mode is compassion. But what drives your ability, compassion means seeing life from the other person's perspective. Seeing it from their angle. So you're looking at a situation, what's our natural tendency? To see it from our angle. It's very clear. We can see what's going on. But compassion means you flip and you look through the other person's eyes. Love motivates you to do that. Kindness is helping them with their goals. Humility is considering them better than you. They're not. Everybody's equal in the eyes of the Lord. But you consider them as better than you. And it's these things, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, they, they, they pull you out of survival mode and beyond. Love is what motivates these things. We've been looking at, first week we looked at how love motivates us to find our way out of survival mode and humility helps us see the way out then the second week we looked at how love creates the atmosphere we need to get real and avoid the damage of deception when we're hiding not letting people see us as we really are when the outside doesn't match the inside love gets us beyond that it gives us the atmosphere to be real and then today we're going to look at how love sets the optimal environment for growing friendships and family relationships. Love, it's a particular kind of love. It means that in, in the relationship, you choose to do what's best for the other person regardless of how you feel. That's the Bible's definition of love. Regardless of how you feel, you're going to do what's best for them. Good relationships are when both people, all the ones involved in the friendship, in the family relationship, everybody involved is doing that. Now, we all default into survival mode. We've got to catch ourselves and try to get out of it. But this is what Jesus calls us to. He calls us to look out for the best interests of others, no matter how we feel. And so last week, we looked at Ephesians 4.15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, that's the atmosphere, that's the environment in which we can hear the truth. We will in all things grow up into him who is the head. 
that is, into Christ. There's a popular movie out, seems like last year, I don't know, they go fast. At my age, it just seems like it's flying by and then it comes to a screeching halt. I've seen it. At the end, it just kind of comes to a screeching halt. You're going, wow, this is slow, you know, but it seems like it was let. Sorry, I got, I got a little sideways there. <clears throat> kind of like in City Slickers when Billy Crystal just starts, you know, he's talking to a elementary school class and he starts, sorry, I had a Billy Crystal moment there. Um, anyway, this movie, back to this movie, Blindside. It was a popular movie, I think, last year sometime, and it, it showed the story of a, a young man who was helped by another family to just have his basic needs met, but he turned out to be a left tackle in the NFL, and a left tackle in the NFL is the second highest paid person on the team, usually, because they protect the quarterback's blind side. He can't see the people coming from that side. The left tackle needs to be good, or the quarterback can be taken down and his career can be over because he didn't see what was coming that knocked him down and hurt him. We all have a blind side. We, we all have things in our lives that we can't see that are hurting us. Things that we're doing, things that we're thinking, things that we're saying. And they're, they're patterns that, that are ruining friendships and family relationships and stalling progress toward the right kind of goals. But we, we don't see them. They're on our blind side and they're sort of taking us down. And the scripture says that we need to watch each other's back in this way. And we need to be willing to speak the truth to, to one another out of love for them to help them. You, you know, when you really get close to somebody, you know, or I actually I've seen this in, in, at wedding rehearsals. I've done a few weddings in my time. I've seen this a lot, you know. And the best man usually is the one who says he gets up, he, he's talking about the friendship he has with the, the groom, and says, I've got your back, man, I've got your back. Well, that's what we're talking about. When you really love somebody, you've got their back. You've got their blind side. You, you, you intend to protect them. And that's the motivation for what we're going to talk about today, because the Bible says that when necessary, we need to be willing to speak the truth to one another, and we need to be willing to hear the truth. And so we're going to look at both sides of that equation today. But first of all, let's look at how love should guide us to offer true encouragement to others. Hebrews 3, 12 through 13 says this, says, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We, we could all turn away from God, and that's what survival mode is, is when you decide to quit trusting God and you start trusting in yourself to get what you want out of friendships and out of family relationships. That's what we've been talking about. But the context of this passage really helps us understand. Like the, 
the verses right before the ones I just read, they really help us understand because sometimes people come to Christ and even on their way to Christ, if you're investigating Christianity, if you're thinking about committing your life to follow Christ, be a follower of his, you may have this in mind, and I want to erase this misconception because sometimes we think, I come to church, I decide to follow, I pray, and zap, life is better, and it's all good. But that's not the way it works. And there's an illustration in the Old Testament, which was written there so that we'd understand some things. That's why the history of the Old Testament's there. We can watch how God worked in the Israelites' life, and we can learn from them. He promised Abraham that he would give him the land of Canaan. He promised him hundreds of years before it actually happened. After that, they, he, he, the people of Israel got into slavery. He led the people out. Moses, you probably heard the story of Moses or seen the Disney cartoon about it, maybe. But he led the people of Israel out of Egypt, and they get on the edge of the promised land. This is the land that God had promised to give them. Now, this is where we get confused, because we think if he's going to give it to us, let me have it. I'll just open up the package and take it. You know, it'll be mine. But the way it works with God is he, he promises us an inheritance. This was their inheritance, this land. He promises those who follow Christ a certain kind of life, a good life, a life of blessing, a life of joy, abundant life, really overflowing. But... What you have to do to get it is the same thing the Israelites had to do. Those guys had to exercise faith, courage, patience. They had to fight to get the promised land God wanted them to have. It's the same with us. It's because of the world we live in, and that's that's another long explanation that I could go sideways on again, but... Because of the world we live in, from the day where we decide to follow Christ to the day we die, it's a fight to get a hold of the life that God promises. We have to claim it. We have to take it. And that's, that's the background for this passage that I read to you and that's on the screen right now. It's step out to claim the life that God has, and there's always this danger that we're going to shrink back and not claim the life that God promises for us. There's always this danger that we're going to turn away from the living God and not trust Him any longer because it's hard to believe. And our heart gets hard by sin because sin looks like a shortcut to what I really want. You know, anger, rage, malice, slander, if I could just uh, demand that I get what I want. It looks like... so. Rather than trust God, we go into default mode. God promises to make life good for those who follow Christ, but we have to claim it through faith, courage, and patience. Every one of us could get hardened by sin's deceitfulness. All of us could default into survival mode, and we do on a regular basis. We need encouragement to avoid this. That's what the passage says. The word encouragement, it's an interesting word in the Greek, packed with all kinds of meaning. It literally means to exhort or to urge. But it has this idea, it's a, it's a combo word, it's two words, parakaleo. Para, 
means to come alongside. Kaleo, K-A-L-E-O, means to call. And the idea of this word encourages you come alongside the person and you call them forward. Because God has this bias. He wants us to keep growing and moving forward and progressing in life, becoming more and more mature, becoming more and more like Christ, handling our relationships, handling our challenges, handling life more like he would. And this word encourage means to come alongside someone and call them forward to live in a way that pleases God and to claim the life that God has for them. Because we're just like those spies that went out from the Israelites. They went and checked out the land. Man, this is awesome. This land is great. There were 12 guys that went out. Ten of them, there's no way we could do it. They're giants in the land, but boy, it's flowing with milk and honey. The produce is awesome. They carried some grapes back. Two guys had to carry the grapes back on this pole because they were just huge, you know, huge clusters of grapes. And they, God is wanting to give us life that's good, but we have to claim it. And we need encouragement over and over again in order to claim what God has promised. Because we tend to shrink back and not exercise faith and try to get it on our own in ways that are counterproductive. So we need this encouragement. So Jesus says this in in Luke 17. Be alert. If you see your friend going wrong, correct him. We all find ourselves in situations on a regular basis where we see friends going wrong. We see family members going wrong. We see things in their life. And if you're a parent, if you're a boss, if you're a co-worker, if you're a classmate, if you have friends that are going wrong, to be silent is very unloving. It is not love. To offer blind support while you watch a person hurt themselves, is not being a friend. We need to come alongside our friends, our family members, and call them forward to do what's right. That's the idea of encouragement in that passage. You can probably think of a person right now who needs this kind of encouragement. They're hurting themselves over and over and over again, and they're bewildered. Why, why does this keep happening? What's going on here? What, what are the dynamics of this? I mean, if you're a parent, you have kids. They're, they're bewildered sometimes at what's going on. It's your role to correct. If, if you're a friend, you can see your friends sometimes. They, they don't see it, but you do, and many of the other people around see what's going on, You're a true friend if you step in to correct, offer this kind of encouragement. So I want to look at how to approach correction. And then we're going to look at how to receive it in a little bit. But first of all, consider whether correction is appropriate. It's the first thing to do. Think about it. Is correction really what they need? Sometimes we get so irritated and bothered and we just want to let them have it. When really, if we stop and use compassion we can see, boy, that, I, I can understand more of why they're doing and thinking and saying the things that they're saying. So we need to stop and not just react and blow up in survival mode ourselves and let the person have it. 
Give, give the person the benefit of thinking through where they're at, what is going on in their life, and what they need to help them move forward. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 We urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. I, I, have a, I got a behavioral science degree in college, and this is one of my favorite quotes from Abraham Maslow. He said, If you only have a hammer, you tend to see every problem as a nail. So what, what this passage, what God's trying to tell us here is, if a person's being lazy, they're just idle, they know what they need to do, they just flat refuse to do it, warn them. It's a very strong word. You admonish them. You warn them. You, you seriously advise loafers to get in gear, the disorderly, the unruly. Then it says, encourage the timid. The timid are the faint-hearted. They know what needs to be done, but they're a little faint hearts, like those, those Israelites that were, you know, they saw the giants and they, oh, they were afraid to do what God had promised to do. If they'd step out in faith, they would receive what God promised to them, and they refused to do it. You encourage those. That's what we're talking about. You call them forward. Now get, get moving. You can do it. Get moving. Let's do this. And then you help the weak. There are some who are weak. They can't do it on their own. You help those if they can't do it on their own. You, you come alongside and you, you pick up their ball for them. Not forever, but you help them while they're working on it. First Thessalonians 5.14 in the message paraphrase. I like this. Our counsel is that you warn the freeloaders to get a move on. Gently encourage the stragglers and reach out for the exhausted, pulling them to their feet. Be patient with each person, attentive to individual needs. So consider whether correction is appropriate. Second, aim to build, help them build a better future. It is never right to back the dump truck up and unload your irritation and frustration and anger and rage on the person. Sometimes we're motivated to talk to them about what's bothering us because we're tired of it. And we're just going to let them have it. That accomplishes nothing. The Lord says, calm down, think it through, and ask him to help you love them. So that when you talk to them, you're aiming to help them grow. You're aiming to do good to them. You're, you're aiming to help them build a better, better future. Galatians 6, 1, Galatians 6, 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. The word restore means to repair or mend or fix up and put it back together. That's the goal. Not to tear them apart. Not to just dump a load on them that they're slimed by. But to really help them come back together and, and move forward. We need to make sure that we can approach our friend in a positive way. At least from the right motivation. So, so don't approach them until your aim is to help and to really help them grow through this. The last phrase, watch yourself, brings up something else Jesus said. And that, that's our third piece of advice for approaching correction. Realize that you have problems of your own. Matthew 7, 3 through 5, brilliant statement from the Sermon on the Mount. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? 
How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So if you're needing to correct someone, what do you do first? You take inventory of yourself. And as you do that, maybe you're contributing to, to the problem. Maybe, it's, maybe you have a, a bigger part than you had realized. But you stop and you think it through. What is my part? And then you realize as you're doing that, I've got all kinds of planks in my eye. As I approach this, I'm not perfect. But I really genuinely want to help them. Now, you don't have to get it all straightened out before you talk to them if you're going to talk to them in love. But if you're approaching a person with a high and mighty, I've got it all together attitude, you're in trouble. Romans 2, 3, it's not in your outline or on the screen. Romans 2, 3, do you suppose, oh man, that you, when, when you judge others who do such things and yet do them yourself, you will escape the judgment of God? The answer is no. That's what Jesus is saying. No way. You're going to be judged if you come up with a high and mighty I've got it all together and you've got to figure this out thing. That is not the way. So make, make sure that you've taken your own inventory. Fourth, make sure that you know what you're talking about. He who answers before listening, that is his folly and shame. Proverbs 18.13 says, pray over the matter. Don't fly off the handle. Give it time to think it through and make sure that you see what you're seeing and it's accurate. Don't jump to conclusions. It's good sometimes to start a hard conversation with, this is what I see going on. Can you help me understand what's going on? Can you help me see your side of the picture, why this is happening, what's, what's happening? That will warm your heart as you, as you can connect. Help, ask them to help you show compassion in the situation. Fifth, carefully think through what you're going to say. Proverbs 12:18. reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Many times if I need to offer encouragement in this way, correction, I write out what I see. I just make a list of what's going on because it's emotion-packed many times. There's this sense of stressful anxiety because you see the person hurting them and you know you might, you might say it in a way that they're not going to get it and you know, you're concerned about it. And so I, I just start writing out what I see going on. And then I try to bear, whittle whittle. whittle, whittle Whittle, that's the word. Whittle it down to the one core problem. And you need God's help in this. Ask God to help you whittle it down to one or two things that you want to approach the person about. And God can help you. And Scripture particularly gives you perspective to do this. But that one thing is probably hurting them in different areas of their life. In their friendships, family life, at work, at school, wherever they are. It's it's probably hurting them across the board. And so you want to get that down. You want to see what's happening. So I usually identify the problem, show them how it's hurting them, and give examples. And that, that really helps people see it. Six, correct patterns, not one-time incidents. Don't appoint yourself the Bible police. You know, I'm going to just be the one that slaps everybody on the wrist. For it. That's not the idea. This is a pattern that's hurting the person and hurting those around them. Seventh, base your correction on Scripture, not personal opinions or preference. 
James 1, 22 through 25 is a great passage. It says that the Bible is a mirror. And this probably happens to you as we talk about Scripture on Sundays. Anytime you get into Scripture, God uses it for his purpose. And it's like a mirror. It shows you things in yourself that you need to change. And if you take action and change those things, you find God's blessing. That goes back to the idea of taking what God's promised. We have to take action to experience the promised life God wants for us. That Bi- the Bible, the Scripture, is a mirror that speaks to us, and we sometimes have to hold it up for each other to show them what's going on and what could happen if, if they don't take action themselves. So I want to wrap up this morning by looking at how to receive correction and learn to love valid correction. <clears throat> um, it, it helps us get out of survival mode. That's why we love it. It, it doesn't always feel good, hardly ever. I can't remember a time when correction felt good to me. But it helps us get out of survival mode for we appreciate it. Psalm 141.5. Let a righteous man strike me, it is a kindness. Let him rebuke me, it is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it. When a person corrects you, when they offer true encouragement, they're taking a big risk because this thing could blow up in their face. It it could really stress the relationship. And we have to guard ourselves against playing a game. We need to love and appreciate the person who offers the correction. But we play a game sometimes. The game's like this. Since they didn't say it the way I think they should have, I'm just not going to listen. If they would have been nicer in the way they approached me, then I might have considered doing what they're telling me to do. But since they were jerks, And since they said it that way, I'm not going to listen. Here's the problem with that kind of thinking. There's our perception, their perception, and then there's reality. What you want in these conversations is you want to know the truth. You want to know reality because reality bites back. Reality has fangs. It will eat you alive. And so you learn to love valid correction because you need to know what's real so that you can get in line with it. If a person is saying the truth, no matter how they said it, and it lines up with reality, you need to get in line with what they said. And sometimes people can say the harshest things in the harshest way, but what they're saying is real. And we need to develop a heart and mind to consider any kind of correction, and, and try to figure out what, what is real. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to advice and accept instruction, and in the end you will be wise. The Hebrew word for instruction in this passage is musar. It was originally written in Hebrew. It literally means to chastise someone with blows or words. And the idea behind that, that word, musar, is instruction of a certain kind. It's instruction with a corrective edge to it, like a coach. A coach gives instruction with a corrective edge. I'd like to show a clip from the movie Gridiron Gang. And 
And the Gridiron Gang, uh, this guy, it's The Rock in the movie. Um, But he... He's trying to help a group of boys become men from Kilpatrick Detention Center. And I'd like to show you a clip that's a great illustration of this, this word, Musar. Let's start the circles to the front. Hey, yo, hey, yo. What the? What's he think he's doing? That's cool, crazy. Come for Willie Weathers. What you want with me? Here to find out just how good you are. This is a joke. Let's go. Leon, throw Willie the ball. See this line, Willie? You knock me past this line, you'll have my respect. What if I don't want to? Everybody will think you're a chicken. See what you got, Weathers. Come on, Weathers. I want to make it clear. Run through me. Run over me. Not going to work, Weathers. Not like that. Get back there and do it again. It's all right, Weathers. Pick it up. Come on, let's go. Your head up and run through me. Are you kidding me? You bird, do it again. Now tip your shoulder, keep your head up, and run through me. Do it again. We're going to stay out here all day if it kills us, Weathers. Now keep your head up. Accelerate. Put your shoulder down and run through me. Don't look at them. They ain't gonna help you out here, Willie. You got no homeboys, you got no help. You damn sure ain't got no gun, and you can't run away. You got nobody but yourself. If that's all you need, believe in yourself and knock me on my. That's a great picture of Musar. And that coach was calling him forward to do something he didn't know he could do. That, that's the goal of true encouragement. And we need to be willing to receive it and consider it, not reject it. We need to soak it in. Because this is, this is God's main pipeline for creating wisdom, developing wisdom in our heart and mind is Musar. Sometimes it comes through life, sometimes it comes through words. Sometimes we beat ourselves over and over again in friendships and family relationships in the way we approach problems and handle them. And God is allowing the consequences, hoping that we will listen to him in his way. So we need to learn to receive it. Very important thing. Here's some help for receiving correction. I'm just going to walk quickly through these. First of all, don't get defensive. Proverbs 14:12. there is a path 
before each person that seems right, but its end is death. Stop yourself from defaulting into survival mode by saying things like, how dare you say something like that to me? How dare you talk to me about parenting or this, that, and the other thing? Don't you know I've got this figured out? Who do you think you are? Stop that. Don't get defensive. Second, stay calm. Explore and clarify. A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a mocker does not listen to rebuke. Try to see reality in the midst of the blur of emotions. Knowing what's real about yourself is far better than fooling yourself into believing something that's not real. Third, be grateful. Proverbs 9, do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Express appreciation, develop appreciation for people who correct you out of love. They offer valid correction. Fourth, follow through. He who heeds discipline shows the way to life, but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. If you've been blowing it, admit it. It only increases your credibility. It doesn't hurt your credibility. Everybody around you can probably see the problem. And when you admit it and make it right, you increase your your credibility with people around you. Follow through. Ask forgiveness. Take the next step, then the next step to begin to put into practice what they're saying. At CIV, we commit to hard attitudes as you become uh, a member of CIV. That's what 101 is about, to show you how to do that if you're interested. When you become a member, you commit to hard attitudes that set the framework within which good relationships can grow and continue and keep moving forward. Hard attitude number three is give and receive scriptural correction based on the scripture because God has the perspective, the Bible gives us a perspective to help us unravel the things that are going on in our life. Giving and receiving scripture is a way, uh, scriptural correction is a way we show love to each other and we watch each other's back. We'll be receiving the offering in a few moments. Really glad you're here. I'd like to thank you for your generous giving because that's the way we do what we do here. But as we move toward the offering, we always... Uh, look at some next steps that we can take as a result of the message. And so I've listed some next steps. There may be some other things that you want to do uh, related to the message today, but here's some suggestions. You could memorize Proverbs 19.20. That will remind you to receive instruction, to heed it, to follow it. Another thing you could do is to pray about and think through an approach to a correction that you're facing. Maybe you need to correct someone and you want to pray and think about how you're going to approach that. Maybe get some advice if you're not quite sure. Another step, read Proverbs 1, 29 through 31, 13, 18, 15, 10 this week. List some consequences of ignoring correction. Those are great passages that show the consequences of ignoring it. And then finally, commit to learn how to appreciate correction. Maybe that's not been your pattern. You haven't You haven't appreciated it at all. In fact, maybe you've even blown up and tried to deflect it a few times. Ask God for help and to gain the perspective of appreciating the correction that's offered in life and from people. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as the band comes forward. Father, we thank you for the truth that you show us in your word because you, you are the one who is wired into reality the way life works. So we need to see reality so we can learn to trust you in the middle of it. 
So I ask for your help, Lord. I ask for your help to take the steps that you've laid on our heart to take. I ask for your help to, rather than just let things go and watch our friends and our family members hurt themselves, help us to, to say what needs to be said out of love. Help us to receive the things that are said to us. And try to consider uh, the valid correction and what we can do about it. Give us the ability to do this because you, you want us to keep making progress and to move forward. So help us with this, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.